0: Our New Testament lesson is going to come from the book of Hebrews. From Hebrews chapter 10, we're reading verses 11 through 25. Hebrews 10, 11 through 25. And every priest stands day after day at his service, offering ag- again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered up for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since Then has been waiting until his enemies have been put as a footstool under his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, says the Lord. I will put my law upon their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And he also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of God the people of God. Thanks be to God. I've shared with you before that I would be a terrible criminal. Because I, every one of my criminal mastermind plans that I tried when I was a young child was foiled by my parents. And I wound up getting a whooping. So I just learned early that there are me- that I would just be a terrible criminal. So it's probably good that I turned to a life of religion instead of a life of crime. That would have ended much worse for me. One of the reasons why I would be a terrible criminal is because I have no poker face. I, I just, I just, good thing I'm not a gambler because I have, I have no poker face. That's one of my great problems in life. I, I just, I can't lie well. I, I, and so one of my favorite things to do in all of the world, it's probably my favorite hobby, is to annoy those that I love. Uh, it's just what I live to do. It's how I spend my time. I, I just truly enjoy it. I've, I've been very blessed that I've been able to teach this skill to my children. And so one of my families, by my family, I mean me, Sarah and Thomas, one of our favorite hobbies is to annoy my wife. It's just a lot of fun. Um, Sometimes she'll start laughing, and she'll laugh so hard she can't stop, and then we'll just keep going, and she'll start crying, and it's just a lot of, it's just a lot of fun. And one of my favorite things I like to do is I like to try to, um, try to you know, see how far I can take a story because I'm telling you, my wife is pure of heart. She really is. I don't know what she did to get stuck with me, but she is pure of heart. She's trusting and kind and all those great things. So I take advantage of that by messing with her. Um, And so I will try to tell a story, a tall tale or a story, and just, you know, I'll keep going further with it and further with it and further with it. And and I'll try to see how far I can take it till she finally realizes that I'm lying to her. But my great problem is, like, the further I go, the funnier I think it is. And so I can't, like, I can't hide the, the joy on my face when I'm lying to her, when I'm trying to get her. So, you know, I'll have this little eye twitch or I'll have this little, I'll start smirking, you know. <laughs> and she, she knows when she sees my smirk that I'm messing with her. And so I, I just know I just know that I can't ever get her ultimately because my face is gonna give it away that I'm messing with her. It's just it's just probably my fav- my favorite hobby in all the world is to do that. But it is it has been fun to like I said, for us for us all four of us to kinda get together and we'll all start joking and we'll all start laughing and, you know, kinda, kinda the more we joke, the more we provoke each other to tell stories. And you've you've been there, haven't you? Well you've been in a dinner or at a meal, or at a party, and one person tells a story, or a joke, and the next person tells a story, and a joke. And before you know it, you spent the entire meal, not even eating, but just laughing. Because every joke leads to another joke, which you just find funnier and funnier and funnier. You know, we, we talk a lot about peer pressure. We talk about with our kids and the negative impact of peer pressure. I love the passage we read today because today's passage, and in, in, in combo, combo our, uh, our New Testament and our, and, our, and our Old Testament passages. In the New Testament, you see this passage here, which says, think about how you can provoke one another to good deeds. How you can provoke one another to kindness, to faithfulness, to joy. And then go back and look at the Old Testament passage. We have two people, and one is provoking the other with her words. Words are used in both ways, as Kate's children's story was this morning. But in one case, the words are used for what we might call negative peer pressure or negative words to provoke the other person to anger or depression. While in the New Testament, we see the same thing. They're using their words to provoke one another, but not, not, not to tear them down, not to beat them up, not to belittle them, but they're using these words here to provoke each other to acts of faithfulness. What a, what a, beautiful, what a beautiful passage we have here in Hebrews. What a beautiful passage to provoke one another. Think about how we can provoke one another to good deeds. To good deeds. Think about how we can encourage one another to be faithful. What a, what a beautiful contrast we have within our two passages this morning. One provoking and using words to destroy and to crush. One using words to encourage, to build up. What a great juxtaposition of what the gospel should be doing in our lives. We, we're reading from Hebrews today. Hebrews is one of, the, one of the coolest books in all the Bible. Very neat book. Uh, there, there are several books in the New Testament that are incredibly... Old Testament-based. Surprisingly, one of them is the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a book that is incredibly drenched in the Old Testament, but there are very few direct um, quotations from the Old Testament revelation. But literally every word in Revelation is bathed or drenched in the Old Testament. But Hebrews, Hebrews is a particularly Old Testament-heavy New Testament passage. You really need to understand the Old Testament to really understand what's happening in Hebrews. It's, it's one of the deeper books in the, in the New Testament, one of the, one, of the, one, of the, one of the more beautiful books in the New Testament. But, but it really, it's a, it's a book that really cements our Christian faith deep within the tradition handed to us by the Old Testament. Because in this passage we see, in this passage and in this book, we see a great deal talking about the priesthood. We saw in the Old Testament passage, Samuel I'm sorry, Eli, the priest at the temple as Hannah came to pray. We see here this notion of Jesus Christ as our high priest. The the priesthood, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was a huge deal. Because as people sinned, as they messed up, as they failed, the Levitical system of the Old Testament, Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy, they gave specific instructions. If you have committed this sin, this is how you rectify it. If you've committed this sin, this is how you rectify it. This you've done this, this is how you make it right. There are specific instructions in the Old Testament for how one can remedy and correct the sins they've committed. But we see here in Hebrews this beautiful concept that we no longer have to worry about that sacrificial system because Jesus Christ is our high priest. And he has forever atoned for us for our sins. You know how it is? Maybe you've, had, you've, probably, had your, your, you've probably worn both of these shoes. You know how it is? Whenever someone's doing you wrong, they've hurt you. They've done something to make you angry. They've done something to really cause you great harm. And you know how, particularly if you value the relationship, you want somebody to make it right. But you know the wronged person needs to kind of take that first step. You've been there, haven't you? I have. We've also been there where we've been the one who's done the wrong. We've done the wrong thing, haven't we? At some time in all of our life, we've probably done something that was wrong. We've probably done something that has harmed someone else, and that course to rectify that, that course directive to, to make that right, must begin with someone taking the first step, someone doing what is necessary to make that right to ask forgiveness, but not, not just to ask forgiveness. Because much like Tim wasn't really laughing at my joke this morning, it was half-hearted. You know, we all have half-hearted apologies, don't we? We don't mean it. We're just, we're just, if, you've ever, if you've ever received a half-hearted apology, you know that doesn't fix things, does it? You know they're just saying the words, the thing they think they've got to say to make it right. Likewise, whenever we offer a half-hearted apology, that doesn't fix things either. What we see in Scripture through this notion of the sacrificial system is that what happened in the Old Testament to make things right for the Hebrews was more than just a half-hearted apology, but it was a system where if this happens, this is how it's atoned for. And so, what happened is you did something. You would take an offering to, the, to take a sacrifice to the altar, and you would do it yourself to make things right. You have sinned against God by doing this, so this is the remedy. You've sinned against your neighbor by doing this, this is the remedy. You've done this, this is the remedy. The Old Testament lays out in detail the actions you take to make these things right. Not the half-hearted apology, but the actual step to make it right. That's really kind of cool. What we, see in the Old, what we see in the New Testament, though, particularly in the book of Hebrews, is that the way it works now with God is no longer must I go to God and say, God, I, I have done this. How do I make it right? What can I do to atone for my sins? What can I do to make it right, God? N- no longer is the onus upon me to make my relationship with God right. No longer must I do certain things to make my relationship with God right. But what has happened is that Christ has done for us the work that we could not do for ourselves. Jesus Christ is that perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ is that perfect lamb. Jesus Christ is that perfect offering to atone for us from God. So it's not up to me. To make my relationship with God right, it is up to me to do what the text says here, which is to understand that God has done the action to make our relationship right. My job is now to respond respond to that and now to live into it. Jesus Christ has done the work to atone for our sin. No longer are sacrifices required. No longer must the blood of sheep and goats be spilled. But now, through Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God has been slain, has died, and has resurrected, not just to atone for our sins or to make that right, but to offer us forgiveness and freedom from it. God has done the very work to save us. God has done the work. God has done the work. God has done the work. He's put in the effort. He's made the sacrifice. He has given us himself. We don't do the work of our salvation, y'all. We respond to the offer that God has made, and then we orient our life around it moving forward. Jesus Christ has paid for our sins already. If there's something more that we must do to pay for our sins, then we're saying the cross wasn't enough. If there's something more that I must do to make God forgive me, then we're saying the cross was not enough. The cross washed away our sins. What can What can for sin atone? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He has done that work. So now, y'all, Our job is to do what this book says from there forward. When we realize that we have this great high priest in Jesus, our job now is to boldly approach the throne. To to not hide from God like Adam and Eve did in the garden when they sinned. To not hide from God like the devil whispers in our ear that we should when we fail. You know how it is. You mess up, you do something you shouldn't do, the devil whispers, You can't go back to God now. Look what you've done. You can't go back to church. Look what you've done. You've made too many mistakes. There's no way you can come back before God because look what you've done. That's the voice of the devil whispering in our our ear trying to pull us away from God. But Jesus Christ has atoned for the sins we've committed, the sins we're committing, and the sins we're going to commit. He has washed that away. Our job is not to earn that forgiveness. Our job is to accept that forgiveness. So because of the work of our, our high priest, Jesus the Christ, we can boldly approach the throne. You don't have to be afraid of God. You don't have to be embarrassed to go before God. You don't have to be, feel inadequate because you are his beloved child. He gave his son to redeem you and to restore you. And you don't have to hide from God. You don't have to run away from God. You don't have to live in the ashes of your mistakes. But today, y'all, today, this moment, this moment is a fresh start and a new start with our loving God. The devil longs to have us live in the consequences of our actions where we can't shake them. You know, Kate said this morning how sometimes we, we think back to the things people said to us years ago, don't we? You know, sometimes we think back to the mistakes of the past or the mistakes that we've committed now. We feel like we can't move forward. The Scripture tells us, though, today, that we have a high priest who has given it all for us so that we can move forward. So then, we boldly approach the throne is what we're told. And we're told to hold fast to this confession To not not put anything else above Jesus. It's so tempting in life to put things in front of Jesus, to put morality or so many things. But we're told here that what saves us is not anything that we do, but what saves us is what Jesus has done. And let let us never, y'all, let us never exchange anything. Let us never exchange anything. Let me say it again. Let us never exchange anything for the glory of Christ. Let us never let anything in our life supersede the glory of Christ in our life. Not our morality, not our victories, not our defeats, not our religion, not any of that. But hold fast to this confession that Christ is the perfect atonement for sin, and in Him there is life, and nothing else. In Him, there is life. So because of what Christ has done, we can boldly approach the throne. We're to hold fast to our confession. And then it says we are, to, we are to provoke one another. All the more encourage one another if we see the day approaching. And do not forsake the gathering together of the body of Christ. We need each other. That's, John Wesley once says, the Bible speaks, the Bible speaks nowhere of solitary religion. We need each other, y'all. We we need each other. We can't we can't do this Christianity thing alone. We can't walk this path alone. We can't, we can't survive temptation alone. We can't survive trials alone. We can't survive troubles alone. We need each other. We need somebody encouraging us and, and challenging us and pushing us and loving us. Because, y'all, we've got a great we've got a great task ahead of us. We pray every Sunday, thou will be done upon earth as it is in heaven. We pray for God's will to be done here on the earth, and we can't do that by ourselves. I can't do that without you because, A, I'm just one person. You're just one person. But B, you look at the world and you get discouraged, don't you? you watch the news. Read Facebook. You, you see the world today and you get discouraged, and you want to give up, and you think you can't do it. You think it's, you think it's irredeemable. You think it's too much. You think it's too far. And so, left to our own devices, we're going to feel like there's too much in this world that we can't do. That is too great a task for me, you, or the church. And that's where we need each other. That's where we need each other. To provoke each other. To encourage each other. To motivate each other to challenge each other, to pick each other up when we fall, to forgive each other when we mess up, to restore each other when it becomes too great. We need each other, y'all. You know, this whole COVID situation, and we talked a lot about social distancing and all that. I saw somebody that I hadn't seen for the day, and I gave him a hug. I said, oh, I didn't think you were a hugger. I'm like, I guess I am now. We've said, didn't we say early on in COVID how much we miss each other? Didn't we say that we're not going to take that for granted again? Didn't we say we're going to remember what really matters? Now's our chance. We get to gather and worship, we get to gather to serve birthday gifts, Christ's cupboard, cookies with Santa. So many ways to serve. And we need each other. I need you, you need me. We need each other. Like I said, Wesley said the Bible says the Bible Wesley says the Bible speaks nothing of solitary religion. One of the most powerful moments of my life, as much as I like to make fun of her and mess with her. One of the most powerful moments of my life is when I finally realized that my wife believed in me. That changed my life. I don't realize she actually believed in me. It's the most life, outside of my salvation, probably the most life changing thing in my life. God believes in you. Your church believes in you. I believe in you. Let us consider, y'all, how we can do this. How we can provoke one another to good deeds. How we can challenge each other. How we can encourage each other. How we can be for each other the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We have been given such a great salvation in Him, but we need each other to truly live that out. May we be for the world the body of Christ, and may we be for each other the body of Christ. What a joy it is to be part of this body. Let's pray.